Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am looking forward to spending time with you today. I hope you know I am uh, got a great show planned for you. Rob Blue is going to be joining me in just a minute. And then Dr. Peter Kapsner is going to be joining me with a possible special surprise. And then a full hour with Jeff Dorn. We're going to continue our Bible Bible series. And we're at 6.01 today, so it's going to be a great uh, a great show. And Rob Blue is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. I hope you go over to dailysignal.com to check it out. And he's with us now. Rob, welcome. Hi, Bill. It's good to be with you today. Yeah. You know, I, I've got a, a whole list of uh, subjects and, and ideas to talk to you about, but I, I always wonder what is right at the top of your of your your brain right now. I always want to start there. That's the most exciting for me. Well, Thanksgiving, of course. No, oh, good, good. <laughs> I mean, getting to, getting to spend time with with family and uh, and taking a little bit of break from the the hustle and bustle yeah. of the news business is oh, is amen. always a, a welcome uh, change. So, yeah, I, yeah, it's one of my favorite holidays, Bill. And yeah. so, uh, and and I'm 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 really blessed because our boss gave us uh, an extra day off this year. So so it's a bonus for, nice. for the Daily Signal team. Nice. Now, are you going to go upstate New York? Be with your folks? Yes. What are you, What yes. are your plans? Yeah, uh, we're going to spend time with with my parents and uh, and get to see them. Uh, not not a whole lot planned. I um, you know just want to really uh, soak up the time and and let them spend time with their with their grandkids. Uh, nice. I, it's you know it's always uh, special. Uh, it snowed, <laughs> so I don't know if you've had snow yet, but uh, upstate New York has had snow. So yeah, it's oh, wow. always uh, always interesting this time of year. You never know what you're going to run into. Yeah, I'm always interested in people's traditions too. What time of day do you have your meal? Uh, usually around uh, four o'clock, so okay. a little a little bit early on the dinner side. That's but, acceptable. Uh, but on my wife's side of the family, they like they like it more in the lunch range, which uh, I'm just not that ready to have that big of a meal. That doesn't work <laughs> for me. That part of the, yeah, the yeah. eleven o'clock uh, Thanksgiving dinner that doesn't work for me. But for some people, you know, they can't wait, Bill. It's just uh, it's just the way they do it. So you're uh, right. Every family has has its own tradition. But uh, yeah, turn on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and, uh, you know, enjoy it. Uh, that's uh, always a, a special tradition. And this year will be slightly different. We usually put the Christmas tree up the day after Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, we'll have to wait a, a, a week. Uh, but we also have this new puppy uh, this year. So about five months old. And uh, and I'm not sure how the puppy is going to uh, handle the Christmas decorations, giving all the other things that she's been chewing. Yeah. And then uh, did you get a small business loan in order to get uh, buy enough gas to go visit your parents? <laughs> it might need it. I did fill up the tank today, and uh, you're right. It's uh, it is getting spending. I mean, I, yeah. Oh, outside the DC area, I mean, I've seen it as it's approaching four dollars. Yeah. Now, I, I've also seen it um, still in the you know the three seventeen range. So I think it depends oh, on, okay. on where you are exactly. But yes, you are absolutely right. And, and frankly, that's, that's a good place to, to start our news coverage today because the president uh, just gave a, a, a speech uh, about the rising price of gas. Of course, he made news today when he decided to release uh, millions of uh, barrels from the Strategic uh, Petroleum Reserve. 
which typically only happens if you're in a uh, dire uh, emergency or, or a war. Um, so he must feel that things are, are bad enough that he was going to take that action. And uh, I think the American people are certainly going to feel it as they hit the road this this weekend. And uh, and, and they're, they're already feeling it. I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, might still be able to enjoy the work from home flexibility in their job, but a lot of people are out and about. Uh, I can tell you that the the traffic in Washington, D.C. has certainly picked up to uh, a pace that is, uh, if not uh, quite where it was uh, pre-pandemic, it's certainly close. I have one more Thanksgiving question regarding your traditions. Do your parents allow you to bring anything or do they say, no, just come with the kids and that's all we want? Or do you have well, to show my, up with pies? or? or uh... My wife does enjoy does enjoy bringing a pie. So uh, that we, we haven't exactly finalized what we're doing because of the, the travel and everything. But uh, we did celebrate with my in-laws this past weekend, and she made a very delicious pumpkin pie. So uh, we usually <laughs> err on the dessert side of things. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's usually our contribution. Okay. So I did not uh, hear the president's remarks today. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add uh, to help round out that discussion? Thanksgiving certainly. inflation kind of thing? Yeah, certainly. So the, the the big news was uh was obviously on the the price of gas and 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 just rising energy okay. prices more broadly. Uh, I think he he you know is, is concerned. Um obviously I think it's 90% of us rely on uh on oil um in our for our transportation. Uh, you know, we've talked in the past about electric vehicles and, and how you know, many Americans simply can't afford them because of the high cost of a Tesla or, or, other, or other cars. Um, so you know, by and large, you know, we're still filling up uh, the gas tank uh, when we're going to work or, or going on vacation. And uh, that's one aspect of it, but we also have to heat our homes. And we are seeing a, an increase in those prices as well. And so, and we haven't even really hit the cold months yet. So the president, I think, is, is rightly uh, concerned um, it's uh, it's an energy is an issue that has has obviously dominated the early uh, the first year of his administration. One of his initial actions was canceling the Keystone XL pipeline, which mm-hmm. now I think maybe he's looking back in retrospect and wondering if that was the best decision. Because uh, think of all of that um, that oil that could have been flowing from Canada had he had he not done that. Uh, so that's uh, that's one aspect of it. I think that um, we've also seen some some challenges from states, uh, and this this goes to some of the supply chain issues that uh, that he also addressed in today's speech. Um, he's he's put in regulations, as have states, that have made it harder to transport some of these goods across the country. Uh, the president today said that uh, families can quote rest easy, uh, and he said that the, the shelves will be well stocked. Um, uh, you know, that is, uh, frankly, um, a misleading statement, I, I, I would have to say. Uh, we, are, we know that the cost of a Thanksgiving meal is about, has gone up about 8%. That is twice the increase in the average weekly earnings uh, of Americans. And we are not seeing turkeys, frankly, in stock at the, at the rate that they were in past years. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reported this, uh, this month that turkeys uh, were only 39% in stock, when in a typical year, it's 93%. So, uh, Bill, there are some issues that I think that we're working through, and it's probably going to be a hot topic uh, if your family gets into politics at the uh, at the dinner table this Thanksgiving. I'm sure that there will be some strong opinions about uh, what this administration is doing to try to address some of these issues. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that, Rob. Would you uh, give us uh, what the latest is on some of the, the vaccine mandates and some of the things coming out of uh, Washington and what's What's been proposed, what's been stalled, uh, what's in litigation? 
Absolutely. I had a fascinating conversation with the state attorney general, Jeff Landry of Louisiana, earlier this week on the Daily Signal podcast, and he explained that there are really three different mandates. Of course, there's the big one that affects uh, more than 80 million Americans. That is employers who have more than 100 workers uh, need to basically put in place some fairly onerous requirements to check that the the workers have been vaccinated or if not, uh, subject them to weekly testing. That, fortunately, has been uh, stayed, meaning that it is not going anywhere because it's being determined by the courts right now. The one U.S. uh, Circuit Court in the the Fifth Circuit out of New Orleans has uh, has made a ruling. Uh, They've consolidated a whole bunch of cases in in another circuit, and we're waiting for that process to start. And in, in, in the course of doing so, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration has decided to put a pause on that. So I don't think the January 4th compliance deadline will be met and, uh, and maybe they will attempt to, to look at a future date. But there are two other mandates that uh, the administration is, uh, has imposed that are also being challenged. One is on federal contractors. So if you are somebody who does business with the federal government in a contracting uh, re- relationship, uh, you also are subject uh, to the vaccine mandate. And the other one would be on the Centers for uh, Medicare and Medicaid Services. So anybody who is uh, associated with, with Medicare or Medicaid in any capacity would also be subject to, uh, to this mandate. And I think that the, the way that the Louisiana Attorney General put it to me was it's really not about healthcare anymore. Uh, because if it was, you would be hearing the administration talking about the uh, new developments with therapeutics. You'd be hearing them talk about uh, natural immunity. And instead, they are so focused on the vaccine, which is just one layer of our prevention strategy for combating COVID-19, that uh, it seems like it's more about controlling our lives than it is about giving us the freedom to make the choices that, that, that best suit us. And, and frankly, uh, decisions that need to be made in conjunction with our, our, our doctor and our healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always, I always try to apply common sense to what I hear and what I read and, and what I, I try to, you know, look at all kinds of stories. But when I think of the government saying to the postal workers, of which there are 650,000 of people who work in uh, post offices and our postal carriers, that they don't, they don't fall under the vaccine mandate, I would think, well, why, why not? That's a good question. Uh, why exempt them and subject uh, all of the other uh, businesses to to comply? So uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. It, the some sometimes, Bill, uh, common sense is in short supply in Washington. I heard Dr. Ben Carson make a similar comment uh, last night. I, I had an opportunity to to spend some time uh, with him. Of course, he's the former Secretary of Housing and Urban, Debe- Urban Development, and he himself suffered from COVID about a year ago. He was uh, very ill of uh, of COVID, and uh, it was um, it was you know his comments last night about natural immunity and some of the other ways that uh, we should be thinking about combating COVID that I think really made a lot of sense to me. And I don't know why others in Washington really don't talk about it. And they've really botched the the rollout of the boosters. They're they're I mean, <laughs> for as friendly as the media typically is to to the Biden administration, uh, they're facing a lot of scrutiny and criticism for not getting this done before Thanksgiving. Even if you were able to get a booster shot before Thanksgiving, as we know, it takes two weeks for it to really kick in. Um, so uh, many Americans who who may have just gotten a shot this week, uh, you know, they they will not necessarily have the uh, uh, you know, the, the antibodies in their system to, to combat it. But 
I think that Bill, you know, you and I have talked about this this a lot over the course of the last 19, 20 months uh, since we've been dealing with COVID. And when it comes to uh, to some solutions, Washington is not usually the best place to look. I think there's a lot of other places uh, throughout our country that are doing things right. And usually the government that uh, serves you best is the government that's closest to you. So that's why we should listen to them. Mm-hmm. I don't don't know if you've had this experience, Rob, where maybe you're, you go out to dinner uh, with your or breakfast with your wife and they say, um, well, it's a 45 minute wait. And you look out at the restaurant and, and that it's half empty. And you go, well, <laughs> how is it a 45 minute wait? Half the restaurant's empty. And they say, well, that's the amount of staff we have available. So we have it, to only yeah, serve half the restaurant. When you hear numbers about how packed the hospitals are, uh, is it the same situation or are they operating at full capacity or how would we find that out? That's a good question. We have not looked into that, but that would be a good investigative piece. So I'm going to suggest that to the team, Bill. Um, thank you. Uh, I I have heard reports, as you have, um, just anecdotally, that hospital, that healthcare uh, workers uh, have left uh, the profession because they've maybe made the choice not to get vaccinated uh, for a variety of reasons. Some, again, have, have already had COVID and felt that if they have the natural immunity, what, what, you know, why take the risk of getting the vaccine? Uh, others may have other you know, religious or moral objections or reasons why they, they don't want to do it. Um, and so they've been forced out of a job. And of course, mm-hmm. at a time when you need those healthcare workers most, uh, you know, they're not necessarily there. And I, I totally feel you on the, the restaurant experience. I, I've had that happen to me on several occasions. Yeah. And it's made dining out really not all that enjoyable. Because uh, when you have uh, three kids, you know, when <laughs> sitting in the sitting in the lounge is not not necessarily the place you want to be. Yeah, you've only got so much dad material in the lounge, don't you? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right, let me take a little break. Rob Blue is my guest executive editor at The Daily Signal. We'll be right back. Tuesday, Rob Bluey is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. I was glad to talk to Rob. So, Rob, what is going on with this tax and spend package? This is confusing to me, so I'll let you sort it out. <laughs> well, I think as, as we talked about uh, last week, the, the president was able to secure a, a fairly sizable win when he was uh, signed into law the Bipartisan Infrastructure Framework Uh which uh, they call the BIF in Washington because we love our acronyms. And that was the first step for for many Democrats. Uh, The second piece is the the BBB, the Build Back Better Act. And and that is a piece of legislation that has passed the House, did so on Friday night, and uh, came right down to the wire. There were were many people, including myself, who who didn't think that it might, uh, might get done. But now it faces an uncertain future in the Senate. Uh, first of all, the piece of legislation, they, they, they are using a process called budget reconciliation, which allows them to avoid the Senate filibuster, which, of course, requires 60 votes in the Senate. So they can pass this on a simple majority. But there are it's a razor thin margin, of course. There is a 50-50 tie in the Senate. So the Democrats need to stick together 
and they need the vice president to cast the tie-breaking vote. There are two Democrats, at least two Democrats, that have been uh, quite vocal about this. There probably are other Democrats who are just keeping their mouth shut for now, uh, and that's Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin. They have issues with a variety of the the text uh, of of the legislation, and this bill that passed the House is certainly not going to pass the Senate without significant changes. And that's where uh, it might run into some problems, because Sinema and Manchin, uh, despite the fact that they they both have issues, have, have different issues. So one of them might be concerned about the tax provisions. The other one might be concerned about the spending. And uh, and I don't really know how it's going to all play out. I do know this, though. December 3rd, which is coming up next week, believe it or not, is going to be when the government runs out of money. So you better believe that next week the Democrats in Congress need to figure out how to fund the government, at least for the short term, uh, if they can't get a longer term uh, bill in place. And so that's going to delay passage of this. Uh, they still need to solve the debt limit increase, which was punted to, uh, to December as well. And so there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of work to get done with not much time left in the year for Congress to do it. And so this big tax and spend bill might just be uh, something that gets, gets delayed. And we know what happens usually in election years in Congress. It's increasingly difficult to get things across the finish line because members of Congress don't want to take those tough votes. Mm-hmm. Rob Louis, my guest, is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. In, at dailysignal.com, Virginia Allen did an interesting story about the family businesses that were burned down in the Kenosha riots and how they're doing today. Of course, that's been on the news so much with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial in Kenosha. But what did she discover about the businesses in Kenosha? Well, we did send a team to uh, Kenosha last week, Bill, um, and uh, Virginia was there along with, uh, with a couple of our other colleagues, and she reported on the ground outside the courthouse as the verdict was handed down. And while she was there, she visited some of the businesses that, as you mentioned, uh, she had spoken to last year after the riots uh, destroyed many of their, uh, much of their property and, uh, and their livelihoods. And so this, uh, this one particular ice cream shop uh, was was a place that she uh, returned to because she wanted to see how things were going. And of course, uh, a year ago, they lost everything uh, in the fire. I mean, all of their machinery and, and equipment was just destroyed. And so it was really encouraging to hear some good news that uh, they're back in business and operating once again. And of course, uh, we were all praying last week that uh, the verdict, uh, regardless of how it, uh, the jury came down, would not lead to more violence. And mm-hmm. I'm grateful that uh, the things were, for the most part, peaceful from, from everything that I've seen. And I think that the business owners in Kenosha uh, probably read the big sigh of relief, particularly those um, who were affected uh, as in 2020, uh, like Raquel Santiago um, and her family. So, Bill, it's... Um, you know, it's it's sad. We're, we're watching another big trial right now in Georgia. Uh, that jury is now uh, debate, debating the fate of uh, the three men who are are charged uh, with the murder of Ahmed Arbery. So, you know, as these big cases that uh, that really galvanized a lot of people last year are now, uh, you know, coming in through uh, through the legal process, we'll keep a close eye on them as well. It was 500 National Guard in Kenosha awaiting the re- the trial results. I think that had a lot to do mm-hmm. uh, to probably contribute to what ha- the fact that nothing did happen. Uh, from what uh, from you know seeing the live videos that that Virginia produced when she was there and talking to her this week when she returned, uh, it was really uh, you know there there were people on both sides of the issue. You know there were clearly people who were there um, who who felt Rittenhouse should have been found guilty, and there were a lot of people who said he was acting in self defense, which is what the jury 
ultimately acquitted him of. So, yeah, I, I mean, we, we have to respect the, the legal process and what, uh, what, our, what the jury finds. And, uh, and of course, um, you know, it's a, a highly charged emotional issue. And it's really tough to watch some of that footage of Rittenhouse um, and what was going on in Kenosha last year. I just, Bill, on the one hand, I just don't understand how things get so out of control um, that, it, that it leads to that type of situation where, where people destroy property and, and really try to harm others. But, um, you know, that was, uh, that was a, a, a situation we saw play out in so many cities last year. Yeah, when you think about that case, Rob, and you see him using self-defense on one side of the coin, and on the other side of the coin, he's a 17-year-old kid with a, a pretty significant weapon on the streets. Uh, I know there's both sides have been arguing, what was he doing on the streets with a rifle like that? And then... The other side saying, well, he was defending himself in the moment, and had he not, he probably wouldn't be alive today. What do you mean? That's of right. That? Yeah. Well, it, it, it's hard because I, I, I try to think like, okay, I, you know, I have, I have kids, and would, would I want them putting themselves in the situation where they were, where they were guarding the car lot, um, you know, trying to, to act, uh, you know, to protect their fellow Americans and their property. So, I mean, I, I certainly understand the desire to step up and, and contribute however you can, uh, particularly if you feel the police and law enforcement aren't, aren't doing an adequate job. And there was a lot of criticism that they should have been with, some, with cracking down on some of the, the riots. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know. Um, I, I just, uh, I, I'm not sure that I would, I would uh, you know, take that, that risk because you, ha- you have a lot of people who might be mentally unstable, uh, people who, who are clearly out there uh, to cause trouble, and uh, putting yourself in a situation, even if you are armed uh, with a gun, uh, could lead to, 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 frankly, what happens. So, so Bill, it's, it's tough. It's tough to, I, I see both sides of it. I, under, I understand why he did it. At the same time, I, I think that uh, many Americans would probably shy away from a situation like that uh, just for their own safety. Yeah, and then didn't during World War II men lie about their age to get into the service? You know, when they were underage. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and you know, f- frankly, I, I watched the interview he did last night uh, on Fox News, and they showed a lot of the footage of uh, of what was taking place and how he was being kicked and hit with the skateboard and and everything that was was going on. So, I mean, y- you just you, you see that, and you're like, how? you know, how can we do this to a fellow human being? Mm, um, and yeah. I guess this is, you know, this, this is the, the part where you, you, just, you just question, um, you know, uh, how, how something like this can play out. And you, you, you say a prayer and you hope that, you know, people can, um, can find it in them to, to not only uh, forgive, but uh, make better choices in the future. Yeah. Rob, thank you so much for your perspective. I'm always grateful for you. And especially now with Thanksgiving being on Thursday, I'm extra grateful and have a well, blessed time with your family. Thank you, Bill, and happy Thanksgiving to you and all of our uh, Faith Faith Radio listeners. Indeed. Thank you. I will talk to you in a week. Take care. You bet. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com. All right, we'll take a little break. Got some special surprises coming up uh, next. Dr. Peter Kapsner is one of them and possibly another. We'll be right back.
Back to the show. Glad to have Dr. Peter Kapsner in studio with me. There was uh, someone that listens that called you Dr. Peter Cat Nipster. Cat Nipster. Cat Nipster, <laughs> which made me happy. It, <laughs> it, it made you, yes, incredibly happy based yes. on, on the text yes. response, indeed. And I think of you sometimes as, as Dr. K, and I think of Dr. K's brain goo. Some of the stuff that comes out of your cranium is amazing. Well, it is goo. It, I, it's, 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 I mean, yeah. It's, yes. a, it's a three-pound melon you have up there that really says some incredibly smart things. From time to time. From time from, to time. From time to time, yeah. And, you know, my next hour guest, Jeff Ferdorn, we're going to continue our study on Bible Bible. I'm we're so excited for that study. Yes, it's yes. incredible. And Jeff got here early today, and he's joining us in studio as well. Hi, that, guys. There's my special surprise. The, the, and this is the first time I think the three of us have all been in studio together like yeah, this. First this time is quite ever. exciting. Yeah. yeah. I love so, it. So, uh, Peter, let's talk about something that came up on Guide Talk last Thursday which was the whole idea of Mary and Martha and your new understanding of that, which was mind-blowing. Yeah, Guy Talk is such an interesting episode, isn't it? Because you never really know what's going to come up. And so things get uh, brought up and, and addressed, but maybe not as fully as you would like because you just don't necessarily have the time to get to all the listener questions that, that are coming in. But it was a few years ago that that story um I came across some different teaching and, and some different scholarship on it that was getting into the original context and the language and what it would have been like to be in that house at that time. And I've heard that story taught so often as, well, hey, Martha's in the kitchen. She's busy, busy, busy. And, and Mary's sitting and hanging out with Jesus. And so sort of the, the moral of the story, as it were, is stop being busy in the kingdom, spend time with Jesus instead. And okay, uh, but when you get in the story, there's some there's some intriguing things that are going on there. And among them is there was a very well-known teaching uh, of that time that uh, the Jewish rabbis would have been employing, which is basically don't have really anything to do with women. If you're a respectable male, you're not going to want to be spending undue amounts of time with women, really limit your interactions. You can read this in the Mishnah, which is some of the Jewish writings of the time where the Jewish rabbis literally say, if you spend way too much time consorting with the wrong kind of people, specifically women, you're actually subject to Gehenna, as was the language they're using, which is sort of this version of hell that uh, that they're bringing into play. And, that, and so in the story, what happens? Well, this is actually Martha's home. It doesn't say that there's a male in this home. It's actually her home. And Jesus is inviting himself into her home. And so now he's actually crossing this teaching in this moment. And it, it talks about her being very distracted, and yet, actually, the language in the Greek would be indicative of she's very distressed. She's horribly just distressed by something. And when we read that that story through the lens of maybe Jane Austen's sense and sensibility, that maybe it's her hospitality that she feels like is at risk, right? She's not going to put on a good enough dinner. She's busy, busy, busy. Meanwhile... Mary is just doing absolutely nothing, just being lazy, hanging out in the room with Jesus, right? And so mm-hmm. she's like, oh, my gosh, you need to help put on the dinner. We've got to put on a good show. I mean, this is, this is English hospitality after all. Now, it's probably more likely, and Kenneth Bailey is, is one scholar I very much respect that got into this, but N.T. Wright is another that, that came from the same angle on it, that said she was very distressed because something was going on that was maybe even subjecting her to this future punishment in Gehenna, where she is allowing men in her house where they don't belong. And not only that, 
Mary is entirely in the wrong room of the house because that room in the house that she was sitting in historically would have been reserved for men to sort of sit back and talk about Torah, to talk about kingdom, to talk about life uh, in, uh, under God's rule. And women didn't belong in that room at all. And now Mary's actually not just in the room. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And when Luke gives us that description of sitting at somebody's feet, this is the same posture that Paul would have taken when he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, that in that culture, when you sit at somebody's feet, you're assuming the posture of a learner, of a disciple, of somebody who should be there to learn about the kingdom. Women absolutely did not belong in that room. They certainly shouldn't be consorting with men in that way. And Jesus says in those moments, Martha, Martha, you're so distressed in this moment, but please know Mary has chosen that which is better. She actually belongs in this room right now. And so it's not necessarily a story of don't be a busy for on behalf of the kingdom versus um, spend time with Jesus. He is reorienting and inviting women to follow him as well, which Luke makes clear actually in his gospel in the eighth chapter, he talks about that the women are following Jesus in these moments too. So I, it, I just appreciate that. I mean, you and I, Bill, talk often, do we not, about all the scripture that we think we might understand, but then <laughs> upon further review, yeah. you realize you oh. might be missing some things. And Jeff, we were talking about that in the green room. You, I think you hit me up with about three parables that I'm like, yeah, I guess I don't understand any of those based on what you had been learning about them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you described what we were describing in our principles of hermeneutics in our Bible Bible series, that the number one rule is understand the context, understand the historical context of the original writing. And that's what you're doing. I love to sit here and actually learn, you know, I, when I can grasp something new and that new understanding and a new historical context, it does shed, shed light on scripture. It does. And you were bringing it up related to just the pearl of great price. You were, you were, you turned that on its head for me while we were sitting on the green room. We did. So, um, yeah, I'm, I mean, we could describe it really quick that often people see the pearl as the kingdom of heaven and that we should be willing to give up everything for the pearl. And it's like, well, do we buy into the kingdom of heaven? That doesn't sound right. You flip it on its head and you understand Christ is the one who gave up everything. And Revelation says it this way, to purchase men for God from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And isn't that what the whole concept of redemption is about? But if we just stick to the commentaries, we'll always see, you know, the explanation that, oh, we should be willing to give up everything for the kingdom of heaven. And, and But it seems in that story that if we're flipping it on his head, that the great price being purchased is us. And, and I, you know, not to think too highly of ourselves, right, but, but maybe God actually did care enough about his imagers on earth that he decided to die on the cross on their behalf. And it, and it puts a different kind of value on human life. As you were telling me the story, I just does. kept thinking, wow, we... We're not able to to break the power of sin, but we're worthy of somebody who will come and break that power so that we can be restored. I mean, we must have value as human beings on some level. Yeah, it's, um, you know, this whole concept of imagio Dei, that we're all made in the image of God. I was just teaching in another class called In the Beginning about how we are all, all of us, descendants of Noah and his family. If you believe in the biblical account of the flood, well, then God started with eight people in the entire population of the world today came from those eight people. So we're all related. Biblically, I like to say there's one race. It's called the human race, and we are all related. We all have value to God. We're all made in Him, his image, and we are all, therefore, loved by God. Hmm. Now do you want me to talk? <laughs> because I, I'm just sitting here listening, taking notes. I'm just going to drag the conversation down. <laughs> it seems like, I mean, I think we're out of material, though, Jeff and I, at this okay. point. That, that's all the goo that we might have for today. Is that right, Jeff? <laughs> but it's good. It's good because um, another thing I was talking to you about today, Peter, was 
every time I read something, I, I see something new or something different, or I ask a new question in my head that either gets answered or it doesn't. And sometimes I'll take my questions to Dr. Mark Muska, and he'll say, I don't think God intends for us to know the answer to that. And that's okay. And then I kind of go, oh, okay. And then he always ends it with, once you see the face of Jesus, none of these questions are going to matter. Mm. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I appreciate about that perspective, among other things, and, and trying to rectify a bit of that with some of the doubt and confusion that I think we all walk in as we're reading uncertain things in scripture that we don't understand, or there are certain questions about God or human beings that are puzzling and, and oftentimes troubling to us. Um, I remember when I was back in seminary and I was really troubled by the idea that that maybe Freud was right. Maybe psychologically we've just made up God in some sort of way to as a, as a wish fulfillment that our life actually has purpose when we're otherwise just sort of this random mass of molecules that happen to come together by the infinity of chance or something like that. And so I searched high and low in all the books to to, to sort of prove that that couldn't possibly be true. And yet at the end of the day, I couldn't rectify it. And, and it was in the midst of that that God reminded me of a, a very important scripture passage, which is trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding. And that, that the great invitation of the faith is not to constantly be proof texting God to, to make God prove himself as if he's worthy because we finally understand him, but that the first move within the Christian faith is one of leaning fully into and trust. And in the midst of that, when you do that, you get a gift of, ins- of assurance that can sort of reside within the doubt. And, and so then pursuing the truth of the kingdom becomes an act of worship, not an act of proof texting God. And, and I think sometimes we can get trapped by saying, I'll finally believe when I finally understand enough. And, and that is um, a fruitless pursuit. We're, we're meant to keep asking the questions, keep wondering, pursuing, but it's always as an act of worship because we're in relationship with the one who is the truth, not because we understand the fullness of the truth ourselves. We're always seeing through a glass darkly, but we can rest assured we're in relationship with the one who is the truth, which is why it's fun to listen to a program with like you and Jeff, just getting into the scriptures and learning about all of it. This becomes an act of worship where we grow as disciples, not trying to proof text God. I find, see if you see this is true in your own life, but my doubts, because doubts are, everybody has doubts at some point in time or another, at some level or another. But the more I study God's word, the more I study his character, the more I study his truths and his promises and his doctrine and so on, the less doubt I have. Because the picture just, it gets more and more and more solid. That foundation just gets firmer and firmer and firmer the more I study God's Word. So if someone is struggling with doubts, I would say turn to the Word. Start reading the Word. God will speak to you. He will meet you right where you're at. Yeah, agreed. I, I really take a lot of solace, Jeff, in that in the lines of that old hymn that says, Blessed Assurance, mm. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And I think when we do the kind of work you're describing, when we get into the scriptures, when we go into those kinds of realms to learn about this beautiful king of this kingdom that we serve, there is this sort of sense of assurance that you know, we really do belong to Jesus. I mean, this is the language of scripture over and over again. And so in the midst of that doubt, we get this assurance and, and a foretaste. I love that line. We get a foretaste of the glory divine. We get a bit of a taste of, of our inheritance that that is to come that I think gives us assurance. Keep, keep walking this journey out in this difficult and broken and fractured world because I'm going to give you a little taste of the assurance that is to come. Glory divine is on the way for you. It might not be yet, and, and so, but keep walking it out. They don't write them like they used to. No, do they, they don't write yeah. them like they used to, indeed. I love it. 
So I was having this thought the other day. I was reading Second Samuel chapter 12, and I find myself asking all kinds of questions because in verse 24 it says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And then verse 25 says, And sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Even reading that little five words that says he sent a message by Nathan, how did Nathan get that message? Where do we understand how God came to Nathan? Was Nathan sitting at a coffee shop in Jerusalem? <laughs> I think it was email, wasn't it? Was it email? Email? Yeah, that's what it was in you Hebrew, just right? Read that and just, you, you just, I, I pass that by. I go, yeah. okay. And then I guess the answer is I'm never going to know. But how cool that God sent Nathan a message yeah. again and again. Well, I, I think it's it's part of, again, that magnificence of Scripture. And and I know you and I, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I've really been intrigued in the last year or so of how little Scripture I actually know as, a, as an alleged expert uh, of Scripture. Alleged. alleged it's very alleged. Yeah. Like, just do the math and you'll see how alleged it is. <laughs> if, if I can speak intelligently on 1,500 verses, that sounds like a lot until you realize there's 31,000 verses. And so my alleged expertise is about 4% of Scripture. And I think, I think what that does is it's a beautiful invitation to humility to just say, you know what, there is a king of a kingdom. This thing is true. This thing is real. But a bit of humility about how little I actually understand about this kingdom then actually begins to be kind of a fun invitation to study Scripture in community, alone with other people, just learn and grow and develop. It's we're not worried at the to, to come to the end of our understanding of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. We're not, that's gonna that'll never happen. Actually, I love lists from the Bible. That's one of the ways I study. Is I come across a topic and and it's like, well, where where else does God speak on that? Right. One of my lists is how God has come to man in the Old Testament. So we have this, I have, I don't know how many, 100 items here, where the Lord spoke to Abraham, the Lord spoke to Moses, the Lord spoke to Jacob, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the Lord spoke to Moses, and on and on and on. The Lord spoke to Joshua, the Lord spoke to Samuel and to Elijah and, and Hezekiah and David and on and on and on. And I have often wondered, what does that look like? Yeah, thank you. We know that it happens. We know that God spoke to all the prophets and, and kings and, and people, the patriarchs throughout the Old Testament. But what does that look like? And I think the one of the most fascinating stories is it says that Moses talked to God face to face in the tent of the meeting. But then Moses asked to see God and he says, no, nope, you can't see me. Yeah, no. Well, I think you have to have some kind of tritini- uh, the tr- understanding of the Trinity in order to understand what's really going on there. Yeah, agreed. And But I this is... I don't know, Jeff, what questions you run across, but I would say that in any given Christian environment, the common and very understandable questions are, what do we do with suffering and how do we understand evil in this world? Um, I would say the second question that I'm running into most often right now is how can I reliably hear the voice of God? Because to your point, Bill, I mean, it comes up in scripture all the time that God is speaking but when we live in a time where we've probably experienced some of the unreliability, I would say, of that, when people say, hey, I've got a word for you or these kinds of ideas that seem wholly unreliable, I, I want to be careful not to throw out the baby with the bathwater because Scripture invites us into, into speaking with God like that. And what do you do when someone says, well, God told me to tell oh, you. Yeah. Right? I think, yeah. yeah. I my think my first move is cynicism on that one, I, for sure. I, but God still he speaks to absolutely his Absolutely speaks, for yeah. sure. Let me take a little break. And Rosie, uh, note, stop booking Peter.
<laughs> I mean, if he claims he doesn't know a, a whole lot, yeah, you know, this clearly, is, yeah, clearly, we can, he is we can showing. Start giving I'm offering Jeff. my resignation. Right? As we no, no, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, don't get to resign on me. <laughs> I'm getting fired. Okay, this is better yet. <laughs> I'll start giving Jeff all your spots. Oh, that's not going to happen. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back with uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner and Jeff Ferdorn as we are uh, having some uh, nice impromptu discussion. Love it. Be right back. was fast and furious and boy we didn't stop talking during the break we did not dr Indeed. peter cat nipster uh <laughs> and jeff Dorn are my guests that's we're, never not going to be funny that one might, when that, when that listener gave me that moniker yeah that's never <laughs> not going to be funny so we were just talking about names and if somebody said to you who was jedediah in the bible uh you know up until like yesterday i would have said nah, i'm not sure right the answer wouldn't have been well th- there was a message uh sent by god to nathan the prophet that gave uh, Solomon the name Jedediah. So why do we not use that name? We always refer to him as Solomon, right? That's right. So That's a great question, but that's we are talking during the break in that Fast and Furious segment about the, the name situation and how often it shows up that sometimes Peter is Peter, sometimes Peter is Cephas, sometimes right. Jesus, you know, we see it in, in Jacob and Israel, sometimes he's Jacob, sometimes he's Israel. There's significance to these things that is, is worth studying. And, but among my, my very limited range of biblical knowledge in the 1500 <laughs> passages, uh, I do find that, that, that I did have a, I ran across a study once on why Abram went to Abraham and what was going on within the Hebrew language is that one is that when he said yes and bent his knee to God, that the, the Hebrew character of ha is sort of the breath of God and it gets added to Abraham's name where now he's going to be led into the unknown by the breath or the voice of God. And that actually gets into some things that we were talking about before. How do we know when God is speaking to us? That Abraham clearly did not have Google Maps to get him to the promised land. Right. And so he needed to follow within the breath of God. He needed to follow the voice of God in that way towards this promised land and the unknown. And But then it gets back to the question, Jeff, we are talking about before the break, how do we know with reliable means that we're actually hearing from the voice of God because we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and suggest that God doesn't speak when we sometimes are understandably skeptical about the way people are doing it. But scripture is filled with this witness that God speaks to us. So how do we engage in reliable means of that? Uh, It's a great way to put it. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, you hear it all the time in Christian circles that you know, I'm just at peace with this, or I've prayed about it, and I feel led by God. I mean, that it, that has to be the Spirit leading His people by His Spirit. So, um, yeah. So, the, does God lead His people? Absolutely. When when I've been asked, how does God speak to people? I say, well, I think primarily through His Word, number one. But two, He speaks to the world through creation, and then finally by the Spirit. If mm. we're led by the Spirit, right, we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit— uh, then we'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I think the Spirit actually uh, absolutely continues to talk to his people today. 
Yeah, I don't know if these are helpful words or not, but they're words that I was introduced to a number of years ago, which were, it was the difference between consolation and desolation. Have you wor- heard mm-hmm. those words related mm-hmm. to discernment? So somewhere within some of the ancient, more maybe mystical traditions of reliable Christianity, and, and they were more reliable, not all mystical traditions were, but they, they would use the language of consolation and desolation, meaning that when you're faced with a circumstance or faced with a decision or a choice or something related to the future, and of course the future is always unknown to us, we, and so you have to, to walk with some measure of trust towards that future, they would talk about. So if you started taking steps in that particular direction, whatever that is, um, if, you, if you sensed your spirit, I think what you just said, being at peace with it, like your spirit rises to it, there's a sense of, of resonance with the spirit and mm-hmm. your spirit to just keep walking that out and trust. And that was called consolation. Desolation, by contrast, was if you start walking in a path and, you, and it feels like you're walking through quicksand and it's just like it's troubling to your spirit and you're stirred up, that maybe this is one of those semi-reliable means by which we follow God's voice. And, and I mean, I remember when I graduated from university, um, surprisingly to me, I was an elementary education teacher and, uh, and I was hired for a fifth grade classroom. And I remember it was maybe the week before class. I just felt so disturbed by everything that was coming from doing bulletin boards to trying to figure out shoe cubbies for the kids to realizing that I have no idea how to teach English to all of these different things that, <laughs> that were part of the equation. And I, I drove my little Geo Metro into the, into the parking lot of the superintendent's office, and I just thought, am I really going to resign, Lord? Am I really going to resign? This is last shot. Am I really going to resign and step away from this? This is crazy. I have a good job. It's well-paying. I'm newly married. All the circumstances are such that this, in my pros and cons list, is exactly what I should be doing. But I just felt this disquiet of the Spirit so um, keenly that entire time, and I leaned my my driver's seat back one more time, prayed one more time, that disquiet maintained itself after several days of it. And I walked into the superintendent's office and said, I don't fully understand what's going on here. And everything looks really good. And I really appreciate the opportunity, but I just don't think I'm supposed to be walking in this direction. And so resigned from it. And I never... Was there a point in the future where you realized that was the right decision? 100%. And that's the funny thing, right? You look back at situations like that, because I can also say that I didn't pay attention to that disquiet and other decisions in my life, or I didn't pay attention to that sense of peace. I tried to just lean into circumstances to make the decision. And, and so I look back on that. I went back to my factory job that I had before my shiny bazillion dollar degree, you know, to, to learn how to teach, doing the same thing that I was doing prior to that. But in that time banging together these parts over and over and over again, day to day. Um, I was listening to Chuck Swindoll on KTIS radio and, and every nine o'clock and nine thirty, I was being ministered to in the word day in and day out and day in. And I grew up in some ways in the kingdom that I absolutely had to grow up that I wouldn't have grown up in the kingdom had I been teaching. So that God took me into a kind of a place of desert time in that time, but it was a place of profound training. So that's maybe one example. I don't know how reliable that, but it was terribly reliable in my life. No, it's a perfect example. Um, I think one of my, I don't know that I have a life verse, but if I did, it'd be Philippians 4, where it says, do not be anxious about anything, but Mm -hmm. pray about everything, and then God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds. I think that peace, when we pray to God, he will lead us and the answer will come, right? And so I think we just submit it to him. It's, It's the Proverbs 3 verse that you quoted earlier, trust in him with all of your heart and he will direct your path. Yeah, I, and I think the durability of that piece with prayer over time, right, where it just stays persistent and, and say, yeah, I'm just going to keep checking and rechecking. I think it's helpful to invite other trusted believers into the process, too, I to agree. say, 
what, as you're praying about this, is there a sense of peace, that consolation, that desolation that you're noticing? But how did you say, you, I thought you said God speaks through Scripture, through... Um, creation. Through creation. Through Scripture, through the Spirit. But you just said, actually, the fourth one that I usually bring up, through other believers. Mm. There's, there's wisdom in wise counsel, right? And uh, so I think... Um, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man's face sharpens another. I got a couple small groups where if I have an issue in my life, they're the first guys that I go to. Yeah, I agree. Other I, than Bill. Well, isn't that funny? When I have an issue, you are the two guys I go to. <laughs> yeah. That's true. It is, we do. We do. No, but we we often uh, text each other and at, stuff. At 5.30 in the morning, I'm texting he, you. He has yeah. texted me. And at 5.45, you've got an answer back to me. I'm going, what Sometimes. are you doing up? Sometimes. <laughs> I'm always amazed by that. Here's another question Scott threw out. He said, uh, "There's an uh, here's another one. What is the name of Moses's father-in-law? Jethro, Hobab, or Ruel, or all of the above?" <laughs> Ooh, that one's past me. Me yeah, too. But yeah, he did have three names, and that's so intriguing. Why? I I don't know. All right, so sometime in the next month, I'm going to make you a promise that I'm going to go at least. Re- I'm not going to necessarily have an answer, but no. at least I'll try to research that one. Okay. Three the three names of Moses's father-in-law. father-in-law. Yeah. All right. Yep. Do a whole name study. Like okay. Everybody whose name is Jane Threat and see if you can discover, you know, some great truth or something. Oh, I love What's this. I love, yeah. this. I love this task. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. All right. Uh, Peter, uh, we've got just a minute left, but do mention the Luke study that you're helping with. Yeah, it's getting launched next week. I believe it's Monday or Tuesday that it's coming out. I made it accessible for all the Faith Radio listeners and had a chance to do a little bit of the background of Luke with uh, Angela, who's hosting the podcast. And it was just delightful to get into some of the background of that particular gospel. I think the study is going to be amazing for Faith Radio listeners and, and really worth diving into. I mean, I know, Jeff, you just did a little bit of work on it, too. It, it's a great combination of being accessible but also getting into the depth of Scripture at the same time, which is really the trick of a good Bible study, I would yeah. suggest. And you can sign up for the Luke study uh, right now. You can head to MyFaithRadio.com and do it. I think over 400 people did it the first day. That's so amazing. be like any one of the cool 400 people that just did <laughs> I've it. I've always wanted to be a part of the be cool just kids. just like this them. The fir- Go to MyFaithRadio.com. You can sign it up. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, Jeff is going to continue our Bible Bible series, and we're going to be at 601, so go nowhere. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.